Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. Okay, hey guys, we are back today. Yeah, one more, one more episode from from the depths of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and today somewhere else as well. We have a we have a guest today, right? Um, we have Sal Mignano, who is a physician, a DO. We said right, and That's right. Uh, and a pathologist is with us, and he's calling us from what's the town exactly, Sal? I live in. Um Kailua, Hawaii, uh, which is uh, in a Honolulu County. That's nice. I, yeah. I, I wish I was there tonight, especially considering how cold it is right here. <laughs> I, I don't miss the the uh, fall or winters over there. I got to admit, <laughs> that's blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have real Christmas. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> um, so today we're gonna. We're going to use Sal expertise to speak and to talk about, to try to, to figure out a few things uh, regarding, I guess, medicine at large. And then specifically, we're thinking of talking about the concept of death and, and life. Um, Sal, do you want to give us a little bit of background of what you do, what, what, what it's like to be a pathologist and so on? Sure, sure. Yeah, happy. Um, so... As you said, I'm a uh, pathologist. Um, we come in a few different uh, varieties, uh, but uh, you know, I'm a general pathologist, which means anatomic and clinical pathology. Um, so what that really means is we study disease. Um, we don't really interact with patients directly a lot of times. We um, often are the people looking at, say, pap smears, uh, biopsies, uh, resections after a surgery for tumors. Um, and then, of course, the thing everyone always knows us for is the autopsies. We do mm. autopsies. Um, so you're definitely the kind of doctor nobody wants to see. Exactly. <laughs> oh, for more reasons than one. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're always giving people bad news, unfortunately, um, you know, talking about uh, cancer diagnoses and things like that. Gotcha. Um, so... Yeah, that's a briefly over a brief overview of what we do. We also manage like laboratories, so like um, you know, whenever you get blood sh- uh, blood drawn for for um, you know, say uh, blood sugar or uh, other like cholesterol levels, things like that, uh, our labs are usually the ones interpreting them, and we have to make sure that those labs are putting out good results. So that's the other part of our our job as pathologists. Um, there is uh, a subset of pathologists who do nothing but autopsies. Those are the forensic pathologists, and they are often in the employ of like counties, states, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not one of those, uh, <laughs> so just to throw it out there. <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. What's that? that that's what I, whenever I think of autopsy, I just think of like Scully in the X-Files, like putting bloody organs on a scale and good <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's like a whole other. Yeah, they, they do an additional year of training to do to do that. Nice. Um, but uh, I I am an autopsy director at the hospital that, that I work at. So 
cool. I had a lot of experience of autopsy. I mean, probably cool is not the right word, but cool. <laughs> <laughs> well put. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, um, I mean, the first thing is, uh, I, I want to say, considering your, your specialty there, it's interesting. Uh, maybe we can start from, from here, Anthony. But the relationship that you have with somebody's body, right? And this, this, this uh, how can we say, the analyzing of, of somebody's body as, as, and how different this is from, from, from analyzing somebody's body who's alive, for example, right? Yeah, I was going to ask uh, this question. Like, when you first started being around dead bodies in this context what was that experience like when it was new like was there a certain type of thing that they told you you should expect was there this hurdle you had to come over um what was that like wow um so i guess the first time i was around the dead body was probably my first year of medical school um and that was a preserved body that's usually you know the cadaver lab that medical students have to go through and um you know that was my very first encounter with someone who had, who had been uh, deceased. And uh, I don't know, it, it felt sort of surreal. Um, like, it almost didn't feel, um, and this is going to sound kind of funny, but like, it almost didn't feel human. Mm. It almost felt like a, um, I don't know, like, uh, not like a, not a dummy, but like something not quite... Uh, that that was once living. That's how it felt like dealing with a preserved body. Um, it felt very like academic and almost uh, aseptic in some ways. But then when we when I did my first rotation at a medical examiner's office, that was my third year of medical school. Um, when we saw you know fresh bodies, quote unquote, uh, you know, um, I think my very first case was a uh, drug overdose. Uh, that I'd seen that so they you know gone to this guy's house retrieved the body brought him back to the medical examiner's office to, for evaluation and uh, now that was a very different experience because at that point the body was still fairly warm they had just retrieved mm. him from the scene and everything and and like you know you look at him and you know it's not like in a medical school lab where the face is covered and um, you know the hands aren't necessarily visible it was you know, he was, he looked, he was a young guy too. He was about probably in his thirties and I was in my twenties at that time. So it felt very different. It felt like that was a real lie. You know, he was so proximate to life that, you know, it, it was almost very surreal feeling, felt very nauseous just at that time, that first time. That's pretty interesting. So based on what you said, it kind of sounds like when you had that experience of the the preserved, more sterile body, so to speak, it was you said it was not human, and I I think that that sounds perfect, right? That's kind of what I what I would think it would be like, and it kind of sounds like you're viewing body as an object, right? And there's clearly a difference between human and object, and I was kind of thinking of not to get into the technical stuff, but Heidegger has this whole stuff in Being in Time about how when you encounter a dead body, like something is fundamentally different about it, right? It is no longer Dasein, and it just is like that. And it sounds like when you encountered the quote-unquote fresh body, it was a little bit, it was on its way to being object, but not quite object, and it seems like that's why you had that 
feeling, right? Because like, you can almost feel it being alive or something like that. Is that yeah, accurate? Yeah, and, and plus, like, there's more fluid, too. So um, a lot of the uh, the preserved bodies, the, the blood has been um, taken out of the body. They're pumped full of formalin, so they, you know, they last. Um, but the fresh bodies, you, you don't get that. I mean, you cut into it, it, it will still kind of bleed. It's messier, for sure. Um, so it's definitely, yeah, different very different feeling um i mean it's sort of like i guess uh, going to like i don't know eviscerating a deer after hunting or something like that sort of that sort of feeling so i was thinking for example uh, that's an interesting thing that you that you said because again it seems like that there are certain things within the body to make it more human right and one of those things is blood one of those things is probably the fact that it's not as rigid as as, as the as the other guy that you and again that i don't know but and, it, and it's interesting this idea that there are there is something within the body that still preserves the humanity of somebody right that still resembles the humanity of somebody well after a certain point again when it's when, when it's preserved right that goes away and that makes me think of this all uh, kind of opposition between body and mind which is typical of philosophy right and this idea that somewhat for someone to retain his humanity you need the mind there but now listening to you it seems that that there's also some aspect of of the body which again might be this bodily fluids but might be also something else that instead still uh, how can we say um gives you that idea still transmit that humanity aspect of it there is something more than just the ability of somebody to talk the ability to have a mind the the movement there is something else there too right Mm -hmm. yeah i yeah i totally agree with that i mean i think um yeah after a, a body's been sitting out for a while or you know has been preserved it almost feels less and less you know, tethered to the life it once had. It feels less warm. I mean, there's a, you know, the, the warmth is a big thing, uh, I think, too, with, um, you know, feeling something being alive versus not. And, you know, and I guess that's the same thing with, yeah, speaking and higher mind functions and things like that. I think that also ties into our at least conception of what people, hmm. what it means to be alive. It, it seems like the longer dead it is the more dead it becomes so to speak um and i'm i was thinking of something weird i was thinking about how like when you first break up with someone or when someone first breaks up with you there's this like intense feeling where you can't separate yourself from it and it's it's still very much much something you're immersed into uh, and it has this kind of magical quality but then as time goes on the way you engage with that you know becomes fundamentally different right then it becomes dead um and i had i have never seen a dead body besides it wakes i've seen them there and everyone always talks about how they look different because the muscles are all different and the way they put makeup on it but the other thing was when i was a uh an undergrad my senior year well i was the super senior so my senior and a half year i was in a bio class and he had us dissect a sheep brain and this was the first time I had ever engaged with something like this and the first thing we all noticed was the smell which I guess is like formaldehyde or whatever is being used to preserve it and he had us cut through different parts of the brain 
and it was just a weird experience for me because I was I was I couldn't help thinking that there was some because pe- it looks a lot like a human brain a sheep brain and then mm. I just kept having these weird thoughts of like you know there's this inner movie going on in this little squishy thing like there's this whole set of qualitative experience there are like feelings and a whole and then I just couldn't get myself a, away from that and, and I'm wondering if if you've kind of went through this similar thing when looking at brains and bodies I mean oh uh, yeah I guess like a, a, you know uh, originally when you know I was going through training um, a little bit yeah like I'm like wow this is amazing that you know so much you know that this three pound you know uh, mushy you know squishy thing in our in our skulls can can generate all that and here we are dissecting it and you know looking at each individual part um, and you know kind of you know seeing how it all kind of connects um, in a sort of reductionist way so I yeah I did have that that experience initially but I think and over time it, it sort of fades a little bit um, you know, especially uh, when you're dealing with fresh brains, it's a lot, I don't know, it's softer and squishier and kind of grosser, mm-hmm. honestly. So it was a, f- a very different different experience. And then you kind of get like a, a tunnel vision too, in some ex- to some extent, because it, it now becomes about like what, you know, what caused this person to pass away. So now, you know, you become very focused on that um, almost, uh, you know, everything else kind of fades away into the background, so to speak. So I, so, I, I want to chime in on this, this, this idea that, you know, uh, Anthony started, and then you're saying this kind of something similar too, Sal. Um, it seems that this, there is this, this element of time that seems to be particularly important there, right, in this relationship that you have with the dead body. And I'm wondering if this doesn't mean at the end of the day that time maybe is in this from this perspective more important than the material aspect and space right than than the matter in itself so death seems to be something that happens of course but then to process this for something to really become that we need some time right without that it doesn't work for, i remember um you know when when you lose somebody dear to you it takes even time for you to First of all, accept that, right? But even to to realize that the person is dead, right? I remember thinking I was an uncle of mine. I was younger, and from time to time, in the months and even the years after, is that sometimes it seemed like I just haven't seen him in a while, right? And then finally, you get to the point where you understand, you realize that, and so on and so on. But then again. Uh, um, from your perspective, even right, a person, somebody is that it is starting to feel dead after a certain amount of time. So I wonder how this, uh, you know, from from a philosophical perspective, how that works its way into it. Seems to we don't seem to think about that, right? There are a few things about death that we seem to think about and we seem to um, to understand. Uh, one of them being, you know. Absence of movement, all this kind of stuff, the way somebody looks, temperatures you're saying, smell, as Anthony's saying. Uh, but we rarely think about this element of time. And the other thing that we think about it is that, you know, famously, everybody dies alone, right? There's this mm-hmm. isolation to the act of death. Um, and I'm wondering if even that is not necessarily 
the case, but that's, I think, for a later conversation. But right now, what I'm interested in is understanding this role that time plays, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think time is a, kind of a, a huge thing, especially modern medicine. You know, it used to be, um, you know, a patient sort of gets a contracted a disease and, you know, a lot of times there wasn't a whole lot you could do uh, for him or her, you know, and, you know, he'd probably succumb to his disease and pass away. Now it gets even trickier because, you know, you, you can keep people, you know, quote unquote alive um, for longer periods um and that be- makes the, the the act of declaring someone you know dead a uh, much uh, more challenging task i think so much so that back in like the 80s they had to basically release guidelines for what it means to be you know clinically dead hmm. um and you know so there's criteria that you have to meet to to kind of to f- you know, to fulfill to be declared dead essentially in a hospital um and, uh, you know, for, for me, from my perspective as a pathologist, like, you know, if someone has an autopsy request on them um, and they've been in a fridge for a while and they're, you know, they're usually pretty cold, it's pretty obvious that they've, they've passed that barrier. But up <laughs> on, the, so. on the floor. Yeah, you hope. <laughs> there are definitely. There'll be a problem if somebody if somebody arrives to you, you open the fridge, and they're like, man, it was cold in there, right? I was going to say, oh, dude, it's yeah. so cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's always a, it's, it's always a scary thought. And it, it's reported, the so-called Lazarus syndrome, where, oh, uh, you know, someone thinks they're dead. They, you know, they go in for their autopsy, and right before they find out he's alive. It's super rare, but it does happen very, very rarely. Um, so it's pretty interesting because I'm thinking of a, a couple things right now. So mm-hmm. I think the kind of prominent philosophical questionings func- functioning in the background here. One is, you know, what is death? And I feel mm-hmm. like at some point we should go over these criteria you're talking about because I think that'd be sure. super interesting. Uh, and another thing is how we perceive things as not dead and even that transition from not dead to dead. Because when Giuseppe was mentioning time before, I was thinking of uh, Locke. Like Locke has this theory of identity and he basically says that identity is something's being the same over a given amount of time. And the fact that something doesn't change from point A to point B to point C is kind of defines what it is. And it seems like, you know, this is maybe a way of explaining that thing I was saying earlier, where it's like the more time goes on, the more we perceive that thing as dead, because the change is less expected and we accept it. And as a result of accepting that thing or identifying it as dead in perception, we then begin to have this kind of mechanistic view of the thing where it is like pure material, right? And you were kind of saying this, like you look at it differently. You just think of the disease. You think of how things spread across the body. You no longer think of the humanity. And so I feel like, yeah, time seems to affect the perception of the thing, which in turn seems to be how we define something. Yeah, yeah, I think that's 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 very much the case. And then, as far as the criteria that you know a clinician would use to declare someone dead in a hospital, um, there's basically it falls into two big categories: um, circulatory death or brain death. Um, and those are all fifty states honor those those uh, those criteria. Um, and uh, circulatory death is you know basically your heart stops. You know, you're no longer, you can't breathe anymore. 
um, and all the vital processes shut down as a result. Um, the problem is these days you can kind of keep someone's heart going and lungs going for a fairly long time. So that mm. becomes a, a more cha- you know becomes increasingly more challenging to call someone dead by circulatory um, means, uh, you know, unless like they die outside the hospital or something. Um, the other form is brain death, and in this in the U.S. we we use what's called uh, the whole the whole brain criteria. In other words, there has to be complete absence of brain activity uh, from the cerebrum down to the you know down to the brainstem. In uh, the U.K. and Europe, I think it's just brainstem down, um, which honestly I think that you know practically speaking, it's the same same idea. Once your brainstem goes, you're unlikely to you know continue living <laughs> and that's because um, that's like the the foundation right yeah yeah okay. without the brain stem your your heart can't really pump your lungs can't really work and so so far you've talked about the circulatory death and and brain death and right. i'm wondering is there anything beyond that in terms of types of death oh yeah i mean um absolutely those those two are really you know in the ho- uh, confines of a hospital um, so if you die outside of a hospital, uh, then there's a whole nother, another thing. But I feel like in, in the cases where someone dies outside of a hospital, uh, the person's usually found you know, dead uh, at that point. So there really isn't a question of, is this person alive or dead, but rather, how did this person die? Um, so in those cases, um, you kind of delve into a little bit more of a you know, medical legal type question, you know, what's the cause and what's the manner of death? It's, um, it's interesting that, so it seems that depending when you die, uh, we may need to make sure that you're dead or not, uh, but if you die on the street, that's it, we know, right? It's, but if, well, you, if you die at the hospital, like, hey, wait a minute, we make the way, you want to make sure, and I understand the all legality of things, right? But I think it's, right. in, it's interesting that, um, that well, and again, I'm going to use a term that Anthony doesn't like, uh, I think it's interesting that there seems to be some sort of social construction of this concept of death that comes to play, at least within the confines of the hospital, right? And I'm not saying that yeah, well, we invented it, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, like, in a hospital, it's, like, it's an observed setting, right? So, in theory, that person is always being watched in some some manner, um, if they're not, that's uh, it's kind of a legal problem, I guess. But uh, they're under some sort of observation, so you know that's why you know you kind of have to you know tease out like, oh, you know, is he brain dead? Is he dead by circulatory criteria? Whereas on the street, like unless it's witnessed, um, if someone just dies in their home um, and is found dead by like a mailman doing a, a welfare check, let's say. Mm. Um, then that's a different it's a different scenario you know it's observed versus unobserved um is there how do i say this is there more weight given to one of those types like is one of them the real granddaddy death and then the other one's kind (laughs) of like a partial death or are they equally full death uh in the eyes of the law they're equally full death yeah um but in the eyes of others now that's an inter- that's a, an interesting question, because <laughs> then that you know I feel like that's more the the question of what is life, which I know you guys covered at one point in your podcast. Um, 
you know, that, yeah, I think that's more that type of question because there's that whole thing with, you know, Terry Schiavo's case back in the early 2000s where, you know, what, you know, she was in a persistent vegetative type state and does that count as, you know, being dead? Um, it depends on, I guess, who you ask. Um, and the same thing with, uh, you know, say uh, a fetus, you know, it's all about who you ask in those con- types of contexts. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's the tricky part is uh, defining what the life part is. <laughs> but it's interesting, right? Because this death is one of those reciprocal terms or concepts, if you want, that only makes sense when it's in relation with the opposite of it, which is life. Uh, so I think it's difficult for us to probably, you know, defining one without the other will be will be hard. So maybe we should try to figure out what what again what makes somebody what does it mean to be alive at this point? So in an, because again the the legal terms and understanding when somebody is dead from a perspective of the hospital or yeah it's of course important because that's the way we do it. But I'm we do that again in opposition to something else, right? Uh, and I think trying to define what does it mean to be alive if we want to go that route? Because probably it's easier, right? Maybe. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering that too, and I feel like I'm I'm trying to, because obviously there's this larger philosophical conversation we totally have to have about about life. Yeah. Uh, but I'm gonna try and be the microscope guy and I'm going to try and examine this biological definition because when someone dies um, the brain way or the circulatory way are there still like living cells and cellular processes happening and if so for how long does that happen good question (laughs) yeah no that's there are definitely still things happening like um you know, the classic example is like a, you know, dead frog. If you like uh, put an electrode to it after it recently died, it can still get its muscles to move and contract. Mm. Um, and the same thing with our cells, like uh, some of those cells keep persisting for, for a while. Um, so much so that if you cut a slice of it and put it under a microscope, you can still see viable cells under a microscope, um, you know even if in a person who's been dead for, say, like uh, 24 hours or so. But those cells persist for, for a while. I mean, it's, I guess that's the other question. I guess is, is life just like kind of yeah, some of our vital processes or is it something more than that? I mean, that's sort of a, I guess, the question. Because right? like, I, I feel like the totality part seems easy, right? To be like, oh, it's this collection of stuff and then, and then we say it's alive or dead. But it becomes harder, and I mean, this is always the case in philosophy, right? You're, you're zooming in as to like, okay, which cellular activity is the one that we say, okay, that thing is life. And if that's there, we say it's alive. But here's the cellular activity that's not there. And when that's not there, we call it dead. And so I'm wondering if it has to do with something with regeneration? Like, is it that the brain has living cells, but they're no longer producing new cells? Is that part of it? And I, I'll, yeah. oh, I'll, I'll, I'll add something to this. And I, it, just, to, just to give you more context, right? Sometimes it seems like that we have this abstract conservation, conversations, but aside from the fact that it's pretty important to me to understand when somebody's dead or alive, but there are other, other consequences to this, right? Think of transplants, right? We take mm-hmm. something from somebody and this somebody needs to be dead in order for us to take something that's still alive 
to use it into another live body. But not uh, too dead. Not it needs to be dead, but not too dead. At least it can't so, be too dead. That's it, right. <laughs> it's uh, in um, in our in the book that we use for for ethics. There's this example, this baby Teresa case, which was I think in the mm. in the nineties. And you know, there's this case that the, this baby is born and is she is uh, she has an encephaly, right? So just the brainstem is there, but there's no mm-hmm. nothing else. So the parents decided they wanna. Uh, donate the organs there, right? But then Florida says, wait, wait a minute, she needs to be dead, actually, in order for you to take the organs out. And then they wait, I don't know, 12 days for this baby to actually die. And by then, the organs are deteriorated, they're going to take it anymore, and so on. So, but the thing is, it's funny because it seems like that you can give away, you get heart transplants, right? Mm-hmm. So somebody's dead which means the heart is not working anymore, and then we get it to work again and bring it somewhere else. So there's all whole parts seems to be a more complex issue that... that oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, because... Well, if you, if you really say, let's, let's say uh, we look at other life forms that are not human, right? Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. We consider certain single-celled organisms to be alive, right? Like bacteria mm-hmm. and uh, stuff like that. And... You know, I guess if that one cell dies, then that's it. That, that, that organism is now dead. But I guess for, like, animals, for humans, it's a little more, I guess, complicated because, um, you know, uh, the organism may be dead, um, so to speak, but he still has uh, or it still has, you know, cells or tissues that are still functional or able to be revived in some way. Um so that becomes kind of tricky, but I mean, that's, you know, arguably is that, is that animal still alive or is that person still alive just because, you know, their tissues are still vital? I don't, you know, that's, that's a, it's an interesting question. I mean, legally and practically, I guess, no, but perhaps, you know, from a, you know, a more, you know, metaphysical perspective, maybe, I don't know. Um, but as far as transplants go, I mean, you can transplant certain organs um, if the person has been declared brain dead because you can keep the circulatory system kind of uh, moving, uh, so to speak, and get blood flow and to the organs. Um, so, you know, major organ donations, you know, if the person's brain dead, you can do what's called like a, it's kind of a funny uh, name, a living donor donations. Um, it's also, a, I guess kind of a misnomer but or mm-hmm. um but uh yeah so like uh, kidneys hearts things like that those get donated in that context but then you also have what's called like deceased donor um uh donations and that's a little more limited so those people usually die by the circular they usually meet circulatory criteria of death um you know they're and uh they're a little more um "Quote unquote dead," <laughs> I guess you can put it. <laughs> and uh, you can't in those contexts. You can only donate certain tissues, like skin, uh, tendon, corneas, but you can't donate other tissues, like kidney mm-hmm. or um, like hearts and lungs and things like that. So um, kidneys are kind of hit or miss. Um, so it's all yeah. There's all these criteria and guidelines that we we can follow for for those particular contexts. It's, it's interesting that we seem to have, and again, the more we talk about this, the more I find it fascinating that we have, so, so we're made of cells, 
but mm-hmm. there's some that are more important than others from many perspectives some more precious than others somehow mm-hmm. so that it's like it's like the body seems to be like uh, i don't know uh, a micro world where everybody works in different places and depending on the job that you have you're more important than others <laughs> you're more precious than others so this this like capi- a little society this cap- this capitalism <laughs> thing this capitalism yeah. thing is all over the place even in our body <laughs> well, well yeah it was actually reading something earlier about like when not to get into that but when people talk about capitalism and spontaneous order they use like the cosmos and the body as an example which is super interesting but to, so about this life and death thing i feel like as i'm listening to you speak sal it seems like from my having no experience with your field at all brain um that when certain it's not so much about which particular cells or sets of cells or tissues are still alive but it's about the the system as a whole and like the relation that the part has to the whole because right. when someone's dead they could still have living parts so to speak on them but the reason they're dead capital d is because there's a disruption in that system or in that loop and so at the end of the day being human is not merely having certain parts merely it seems to be having certain parts in this network that's like a community to go back to that language and when the 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 connection is broken human is gone even if the individuals are quote-unquote living in some sense so the system is the issue there is the problem we need to keep the system intact in or or more or less intact right Uh, in order to to have this this process which seems to be life right uh keep going on correct yeah i would agree to that yeah because um you know you still need blood cells you still need um intestinal cells because you know blood cells give deliver that oxygen to to places um so i would say i would argue they're still very important um they're not more or less important than say like a you know a single neuron or something like that same thing with um, like intestinal cells. They need that to get sugar from our foods into our bloodstream. So it's all sort of, but really the, the brain and the heart sort of help uh, kind of keep glue everything together. And I think that's why they become sort of the linchpins for death declaration for, in our field. And that's, that's fascinating because something I was thinking before is, is like you look at the origin of all these metaphors we have, right? And heart and mind are two of the biggest metaphors that exist like oh he has heart he doesn't have heart oh you have a brain you have no brain so it seems like the importance uh of the conceptual importance of things like heart and brain may or may not go back to this kind of biological root even even if it's not uh analytic biology proper but even you know primitive societies would understand that the heart and the brain have this this large function in us and it's it's interesting because we seem to have also uh, we seem to have the we have thought about this thing so much uh, that we have even in pop culture two figures that kind of uh, the kind of you know embody the being without a brain and being without a heart right uh, which is I'm assuming zombies are the one without the brain. Uh, and this is the consequence. And the, uh, I was thinking probably vampires are the one without. I was, I was thinking the Wizard of Oz. The, oh, you're, that's what I was thinking. That's where my mind went too. <laughs> you guys went too high there. I was going lower. Than that. But yeah, that too. 
uh, that's it, all right? We we have we have um, we have created some fictional characters uh, based on this mm. idea that whenever you you're missing one of these things, you're less than human. I think it's not by chance that we don't have I don't know some sort of a supernatural being or fictional being that's oh this guy has no stomach that doesn't that doesn't cut it right <laughs> or mm. hey the guy it's, he has no pancreas and he became I don't know whatever name you want to give it to yeah pancreas it, does not have that personality yeah it's it's yeah. like it's brain and and hearts because somebody without a heart is somebody who's heartless right somebody who's was mm. was missing the the dead aspect of humanity, the being in contact with feelings and with everything with somebody, and being without a brain is even worse, right? You become this mindless um, being that, that goes around. So it seems to be this hierarchy there, you're right? And, and and those metaphors are there to prove it. And and the duality is prevalent in everything because if you expand upon it. And stop using heart and brain language. What you have is emotion versus reason, which is something that we've talked about before, right? And these are kind of like the two forces at play in perception and conversation and engagement and all these things. And, and it's funny because even when you analyze the brain itself, you say like this part of the brain is the more brainy part, like the analytic rational side. <laughs> and then this other side is the one that's associated with creative processes. And it's, it's, it runs very deep. I, I think is the bottom line. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's interesting again, and it runs so deep that we seem to be defined. And again, once more, and then you have the part of uh, the aspect of being. Again, the art is more seems to be uh, more attached to to the bodily functions that we have, right? Which it's interesting, right? The the body, the, the heart is the thing that pumps the blood and makes everything else function, right? And we think of that as really tied with the material aspect of us. While the brain, which seems to be the one that you know gives us creativity, rationality, and all these things, seems to be um, you know be connected to another aspect of our life. Well, instead, within and it's interesting that within death we also make this distinction right you can be mm-hmm. dead by the heart or by the brain or both <laughs> or whatever yeah yeah it's it's interesting but and then it's also interesting too how people talk about say uh someone who is quote-unquote lost their mind um mm. say in the context of alzheimer's disease or um i don't know psychosis or something you know it's interesting and you can almost say like, and people talk like, "Oh, he's not there anymore," or "He's not what he once was." Um, so it's sort of interest that gets sort of interesting too. Um, Absolutely, and I and I think that we can talk about this probably uh, in the second part of the of our episode, right? In part that sounds two. Sounds good. To be continued. Yep. All right. See you later. See ya. Sounds good.